Aha. Perfect. In order to use applied mathematics, no matter whether you end up working in business, engineering or medicine, in order to use applied mathematics accurately and without falling into any hazards, uh, then you need some special skills, so some correct background training. Um, obviously, uh, the producer of this, possibly uh, the greatest signpost in the United States, has an excellent understanding of the, ir the irony of the, uh, the pitfalls that people can fall into if, in this case, they've made a category error and they've treated things which are not actually of the same type as if they're of the same type and can be added up. Um, that's not exactly what we've been looking at. We've been talking about the, uh, the place to start, the simplest thing to look at in computational maths, numerical integration, for taking, for example, measurements of the height under a curve, and maybe I want to get from a few measurements or function evaluations what is the area under the curve if I were to integrate the equation it comes from. In particular, if I do measurements, I probably don't know the parameters of the equation it comes from, so I can't integrate it algebraically. I need to process the, uh, the finite amount of numerical data. Uh, we've so far looked at the trapezium rule, which is a two-point numerical integration method. It's called two-point because the elementary uh, unit of the trapezium rule for doing integration under a curve is a trapezium, uh, in which we have a straight-line approximation to the curve, and the straight-line is defined by function evaluations at two points at either end of the straight-line. And having got those two points uh, on the actual curve, we then say the straight-line is an approximation to it, and from that we can estimate the area under that bit, and by doing this to all bits of the curve, we can estimate the area under the whole curve subject to a few hazards uh, that we talked about last time. Uh, what I want to do in this lecture is to talk about um, this process and something called three-point numerical integration, a developed version of this, and then you can see, you can imagine how this might uh, develop to more advanced methods. I want to look at this process, the accuracy of the trapezium rule, uh, algebraically, and then also computationally. And we'll also... Um, We'll be able to look at the problem in general, algebraically, uh, but to look at it computationally, we'll need to look at a specific question. And what I want to persuade you of is that when you're looking at specific questions in engineering, it's very often easier to use a computational method, uh, at least to write one that works, uh, than it is to come up with some correct algebraic interpretation for the particular case. Um, and once we do that, we'll come to, what if I want to do something more complicated than a straight line? Can I get a better method by using uh, what's called a three-point numerical integration? And then the question for you will be, if I can get a better result using something called a three-point numerical integration, why would I not always do that? And why, in practice, do people, uh, programmers, very often use the trapezium rule? Okay. Um, where we got to, we said we got to this equation 1.1k. Uh, we found an equation for the error in one strip or elementary unit of the trapezium rule was the difference between what the rule gives you and the exact algebraic answer. And we got an expression for this and we said it was for one strip proportional to the h cubed, the width of the strip h all cubed, and it's proportional to the curvature of the strip so that it would actually be exact for straight line functions. On page four, uh, we'll carry on with that. 
what happens then if I want to look at a function f of x over some finite range? So x between a and b. x0 is a, the nth x value is b. Well, in that case, I just need to say I took my 1.1k and I'll add up the local error for each individual strip, which was proportional to h cubed. I do that for each strip, and because I'm thinking about having uh, strips of width h and a finite range to look at between a and b, therefore I have a number of strips proportional to 1 over h. So the effect of that is that I get a, an equation 1.1q for this total error of the trapezium rule method over a given range for the function, proportional to h squared. Uh, as, well, that's, as well as being proportional to h squared, if I say I have n steps and a fixed distance b minus a, then it's also proportional to n to the minus 2. Um, a more so that's 1.1q. The more complicated version of the equation is 1.1p, which gives you a more precise formula. It tells you your total error, epsilon, Epsilon without a subscript is your total error. Uh, up further, up further up in this proof, epsilon subscript one, epsilon subscript two. Those are the errors in an individual strip. The total epsilon in in equation one point one p total error is proportional to this h squared and this uh, symbol, this f over bar double dash. That's this thing. So I'm talking about the average second derivative of x over the range that we're interested in. Uh, because for an individual bit, for an individual strip, the error was proportional to the, uh, the curvature in that strip. And for the whole function, we're interested in the average curvature over the function. So we end up with this. Uh, it's a complicated notation, but it just means uh, the average second derivative of the function where we're interested in it. Okay, so we get this behavior. Uh, not too bad, the algebra for this. Total error for trapezium rule proportional to n to the power minus 2. So that's general purpose algebra. So then we'll look at section 1.2. What if we want to find this accuracy of the trapezium rule for doing numerical integration on a particular example? And this, the purpose of this page is to persuade you you don't want to be looking at a particular example using algebra. Um, it starts off fine. We say, let's imagine you have an integral, and I want to integrate e to the x dx between 0 and 1. So this is not going to cause uh, anyone too much pain uh, because you can integrate that. e to the x integrates to e to the x. So I get uh, e to the 1 minus e to the 0, or e minus 1. Well, my exact answer I can write down is about 1.718, etc. So I have algebraically the exact answer already. But nonetheless, I'm going to waste my time getting the numerical answer because, of course, then we can see how it would behave if uh, we, can, we, can, so we can imagine that this numerical process, we could study how it works for an equation we couldn't do analytically. Okay, um, so we'll look at the analytical method, the algebraic method, uh, in a bit. But uh, let's say, first of all, actually, if I've got some algebra, I know the exact answer the easiest brute force way to study the accuracy of the trapezium rule is to write a computer program. So you, so you open up MATLAB and I say I'm interested in this range 0 to 1 in steps of h. So for each x position I evaluate my function value e to the x. Uh, I evaluate the 
some of the trapezium rules sum uh, using the data book formula, and I compare the difference from the trapezium rule integral to the exact value. And not only do I do that for uh, some chosen number of steps n, I can actually put that in a loop and I do it for a large number of different number of steps n's, so that I'm doing something like this. My uh, exact curve is this blue line, my trapezium rule is going to be given by these red, red straight line interpolations. So I expect the trapezium rule answer to be a bit too large. And if I plot the computed error, so the log of the total error on the y-axis against the log of the number of steps on the x-axis, then I get a nice log-log plot with a slope of minus 2. And then they say, OK, so I've achieved happiness because I had a reasonable amount of algebra on page 4, which told me I expect the trapezium rule error to be proportional to n to the minus 2. And computationally, I've seen that's true uh, just by evaluating uh, for some known function how much error there is. If we wanted to do this analysis for the particular example completely algebraically, it would be a bit harder. Um, it, it might look something like this. So we're on section 1.2, and I'm interested here uh, in an algebraic way of doing what I just did computationally. Uh, so I say, here are my x values in 1.2c, uh, so 0h twice h, etc. Uh, the 1.2d is my corresponding function values, or the y values on the actual curve. And then I do some fairly horrible algebra. Uh, I say, if I put those, uh, the, steps, the step size h, the width h, and the function values into the trapezium rule formula, uh, then it looks like 1.2e. And I'll just annotate this slightly so you can go back and uh, look at this a bit more later if you want to. But this fairly nasty sum in 1.2e uh, includes an especially nasty term, uh, which is a geometric progression. It's this sum from m is 1 up to n minus 1 of e to the 1 over n all to the power m. Fairly horrible, uh, but this is a sum of a geometric series. There's a formula for that. You can look it up in the data book. And this nasty sum turns into this algebraic expression in 1.2f. The point of that is that we can simplify this to 1.2g, which is an algebraic expression for the trapezium rule result for this particular example integrating e to the x. And it's a trapezium rule result uh, when I'm taking n steps to do that integration. And that means that I could, um, instead of actually evaluating each case on the, uh, on the computer to get, those, the to get the log log plot with lots of circles, I could just evaluate 1.2g and it would tell me how much error uh, sorry, it would tell me what my trapezium rule result is, and I could compare that to the known exact result and find out the difference, and that's the amount of error. And then I could do this log-log plot showing that the log of the error improves with the log of the number of steps taken, and that it has this slope of minus 2. Okay. Um... Anyway, for the first chunk of this handout, some of the algebra you want to go away and have a look at later.
Uh, the principle's the important thing. Uh, the principle is I can get, only using algebra, on page 5, I, can, I could get uh, something that allows me to plot this scatter plot of log error against log of number of steps used. I wouldn't have to do it by brute force uh, computing with numbers. I could do it algebraically, uh, but at the same time, this analysis I think is fairly horrible because it involves a difficult, uh, a difficult rearrangement, and often you're going to be better off uh, doing this problem using nice brute force on, on the computer. Okay. Now you may think that I'm slightly cheating you so far because I'm saying I can investigate this problem. I said I could investigate this problem computationally uh, using numbers that I've evaluated from e to the x, but in order to work out what the error of that was, I needed to have the exact answer already known, in which case, why would I be doing numerical integration? So the answer to that question is uh, something that we'll look at in section 1.3. So this estimating, and also as it happens, decreasing the error of numerical integration using only numerical methods. This is without needing to know the exact answer to the problem. <coughs> After all, the fact we don't know the exact answer to the problem is precisely why we're using numerical integration. Um, so fortunately we can do this. Uh, the idea is that we've done some analysis on page 4 and we said that the total error of the trapezium rule when I'm using n strips over some fixed range I expect it's proportionate. I expect it gives me the exact answer plus some error. There's this error with n steps. <coughs> this error, close brackets, subscript n steps. This just means the total error when I'm taking n steps. Um, and I know that my total error is proportional to 1 over n squared. So I can write my total error approximately as c over n squared when I have n steps. And I can do the equation again, this time with twice as many strips. And I know that I should have then c over twice n all squared. So that if I do my trapezium rule analysis twice, the second time doubling the number of strips, doubling n, then I should have the error falls to one quarter approximately of what it was before. So that means I can estimate the remaining amount of error as being one-third of the change, so I'm down to one-quarter of the original error, so the original error down to one-quarter, the change is three-quarters, and my remaining error is one-third of the decrease in the, um, in, the, in the error. And if I apply this to, uh, for example, the data on uh, the previous page, uh, then I can estimate that my uh, remaining error when I went from the, uh, the problem using n is 5 steps to n is 10 steps, I can see that my change uh, in my uh, uh, function value is this. And therefore my estimate of my remaining error is that I'm estimate, I've overestimated by uh, 0 0.0013 in this second case. 
So this is actually quite, so this, this kind of thing is an important uh, approach in computational integration and especially in simulations with differential equations. Uh, the reason is because without, uh, because, because purely you looking at how much better your simulation gets when you double the number of steps you're taking, then you can find out a reasonable estimate, at least for well-behaved functions, you can get a reasonable estimate of what the remaining error actually is. Um, so that's important because you often need your simulations to be operating within a certain percentage tolerance of the true value, and this gives you a method of working out, only using the computational process, how close to the true value uh, you really are. Okay, so so what we've looked at so far is these two point, this two-point numerical integration using the trapezium rule. I don't want to extend this course to looking at n-point methods in general, but I do want you to look at the three-point Simpson's rule method as well as the two-point rule uh, so that you see in principle uh, everything you need to know in future about numerical integration. So if instead, uh, suppose you have not a function which is well approximated by a straight line, uh, but you have some curved function like this line, uh, you might say, in principle, what I was doing before was inventing a straight line which was a good approximation. Why don't I instead invent a higher order polynomial, which is a good approximation to the actual curve, and then a higher order polynomial has more parameters, so it's probably going to be a better fit to the actual curve. And so integrating using uh, a higher order polynomial will give me a more accurate result, but to work out what the higher order polynomial is, I'm going to need lots of points. If I take three points, for example, I might be able to get the parameters of a quadratic equation, so um, a polynomial of order two, and then I could get a more accurate result. Actually, if I have three points that I've evaluated and an additional fact that the step size uh, between the x values is constant, that's actually effectively a fourth hidden equation. So if I do a three-point numerical integration, I actually expect to be able to... I, ex I expect that my system is giving me four equations worth of information. I expect, therefore, to be able to get four parameters, and I expect to have a result which will be perfectly accurate for a curve which is anything up to a, a polynomial of order three or a cubic equation. Um, so that's what is done further down the page, but I'll, we'll look at this with an example. Uh, the Simpson's rule estimate is given by this equation. Again, it's in the data book. Um, and now the elementary region for the Simpson's rule is actually uh, the points x0, x1, and x2, which are equally spaced. So it's actually a pair of strips. Um, if I wanted to apply Simpson's rule to a whole curve, I have to, ha I have to break it down into uh, a number of pairs of strips. So I have to have x0 to x2, I have to have x2 to x4, and I add up those expressions for each adjacent strip. Uh, that means I have to have an even number of strips, uh, an even number n, if I want to apply Simpson's rule to some uh, so some curve, but we can look at the elementary unit, which is looking at these two strips. Okay, and this is the equation 
1.4a. Uh, so here's, a, here's an example question for you. So you have this slab of cheese. Oh, I thought this was a brilliant chemical engineering problem because it obviously involves food and it involves maths. So you have this slab of cheese, and I imagine I don't actually know anything about food processing, so I just imagine the slab of cheese is extruded from some sort of machine which gives it the shape of the edge of its wedge. So that's probably not true. But you imagine the cheese is being extruded, and it has height. It has a height. Um, this curve is the height of the cheese at different x positions. So my x positions are 0, 1, and 2. And my measurements of the height are 2, 2.3, and 3.2. So I would like you to answer some questions. So one of them is applying Simpson's rule to this problem. So if the height of the cheese at this position x is given by 2 plus 0.3x squared, uh, could you tell me by algebraic integration uh, what is the cross-sectional area? So what is the integral? Uh, could you then um, tell me, looking at this Simpson's rule formula and this trapezium rule formula, uh, what are their estimates of the area? And then you might find uh, that the Simpson's rule estimate is better. So then I want you to think about this third question. Why is it that in practice that I might prefer to use the trapezium rule if I'm writing a computer program to evaluate an area under a curve uh, instead of the possibly better performing Simpson's rule. So those are three things I'd like you to think about. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of minutes. So please do talk to your, talk to your neighbours. Um,
Uh, right. Okay. Good. So, uh, what do you what do you think? Um, so, parts of these questions are very answerable. Um, what would you like to suggest to me as answers for any of these parts? So, I want a an algebraic uh, an algebraic root answer, um, a trapezium rule answer and the Simpsons will answer to the same question of uh, what is the area of the cross-section under, under this curve. Um, yeah. The first one was 4.8, and then... I agree. Yeah, and then Simpson was 4.8 as well. Yep. And Cousin was 4.9. Good. Good. I can't tell, I, the number of times, by the way, I, I've given this course a few times, and every other year I get these wrong when I write them down in my notes. Uh, so my solution this year is I'm just using last year's notes, uh, where I'm going to write them down correctly. Good. So you found that your Simpson's rule result is exact, uh, and I've given a reason why I think it could be exact for a quadratic equation, because you're making use of a, a recipe which happens to have been produced. The recipe doesn't know anything about how it's been produced, but the recipe could have been produced by using those three points to somehow obtain the parameters of a quadratic equation, that could have been integrated algebraically. And then you could have worked out what you need to multiply each of the data points by in order to get an exact result. So in principle, it's not that surprising a three-point numerical integration might be exact for a quadratic equation or actually for a cubic. Um, so then there's a harder question. Oh, and obviously the trapezium rule overestimates because straight line approximations are going to be above the actual curve in this example. What about the next part? So why is it quite commonly 
if I were to get someone to program for me a method for integrating some data, so for example, integrating some flow rates to get an amount of liquid transported, or integrating some speed measurements of a car to get a distance travelled, why is it that I very likely would use the trapezium rule, or someone would? Why would why 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 would someone quite often just program the trapezium rule for me for doing that kind of analysis? What uh, what does anyone think about that? Uh, yeah. The Simpson rule requires an even number of intervals. So if you have an odd number of data points, I'm oh, sorry, an even number of data points, then you have an odd number of intervals in for open work. It's true. That's true. Yeah. So. Uh, it doesn't, it's not automatically correct, it wouldn't automatically uh, be able to be generalized to a, an array of data of unknown length. But of course we could bodge around that if we thought about it some more, because we could, uh, we could take uh, an even number of strips in a long data set, and then you might have one at the end, and the one at the end, if there was one, you could uh, add that up using the trapezium rule, and you could do all of the rest of it, so you could integrate most of the curve using <coughs> Simpson's rule. Or, if you were designing your measurement, you could arrange for you to have um, an even number of strips uh, under the curve for the integration. So, um, I mean, you're correct, and you're heading towards, uh, well, not everyone's too polite to suggest this, some programmers are incredibly lazy, and it's quite quick to write the trapezium rule, and it takes more effort to write the Simpsons rule and handle the exceptions like that. So that, that's potentially true. And of course, it's, it's easier to remember the trapezium rule, so I might use it for that reason. Um, those are sort of practicalities of programming. What? Uh, is, there, is there anything more fundamental that people might like to suggest? Yeah. Perhaps in this example, you get an investigation using yep. the trapezium rule because it's up to yep. yep. But if you have a data that a data set that is very, on average, you could assume that it estimates and underestimates different points in the profile. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Um, that's so you can see that's quite possibly true and it's going to be difficult for us mathematically to investigate whether for real slightly weird um real slightly weird uh, data we get a better cancellation of over and underestimates with the trapezium rule but it's actually very possible and um and I'm not going to look at it in this course because uh, specifically what we're worried about, what we're, what, 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 what we're aiming towards discussing there in terms of the, the physics of the curve that we're trying to deal with, what I'm aiming towards discussing is the possibility that there's noise. And noise, by the way, so random errors on measurements is something for the statistics course um, in 2A. So I won't try and analyze it in detail here. But the, hang on, okay. So in principle, if I were to apply Simpson's rule to this 
problem we looked at before. So y is e to the x. Uh, in principle, if I was doing this to study the, the algebra, because I knew the equation I was trying to integrate, uh, then I could do the same thing that I did before. I know the exact answer. I could use n steps, and I could see my error for the two methods, and my trapezium rule, uh, my log-log plot of <coughs> error against number of steps follows those blue dots, and the Simpsons rule follows the red dots. I see that my performance gets its much better, and it gets better faster when I'm using the Simpsons rule method. And that applies when I have an equation to deal with, but if I have experimental data, very often my measurements have error on them. And you probably know, in principle, a important way of dealing with errors is to average your measurements. So imagine you had a constant flow rate. Your trapezium, your trapezium rule method, uh, you've, got measure, you've got lots of measurements of flow rate over time at equal intervals. Your trapezium rule, suppose it is actually a constant flow rate. Your trapezium rule method the integral looks very much like taking a straight average of all of the flow measurements, with the endpoints being slightly differently dealt with. But the trapezium rule looks very much like taking a straight average, which turns out to be a very good way of decreasing errors. The Simpsons rule puts uneven weights on the different flow rate measurements. It turns out simply to be a less good way of, of averaging out errors to zero. So, in principle, you might have this case then. Suppose I was integrating the same problem. I'm integrating e to the x, uh, but now I have measurements of something which is actually e to the x. And so my measurement data is e to the x plus some normally distributed random noise, which I've added in a computation. This is a computational demonstration. This is easier than my trying to explain the algebra for random variables. The measurement measure data has noise on it, and I can apply the Simpsons rule integration and the trapezium rule integration. And I can do this a lot of times for some number of steps. And I can find uh, that I might get results like this. This is a horrible plot. This shows uh, my attempt number on the x-axis and the two points are the absolute error of the trapezium rule in blue and the absolute error of the Simpsons rule in red. Difficult to interpret, but let's do it as a bar chart. So on average, what I get from this is a bar chart showing that my Simpsons rule error is on average, uh, in this particular run, it's on average uh, almost 0.14, and it's slightly bigger than my error on my trapezium rule. So this is mean absolute error. So in an average attempt at integrating noisy data using the trapezium rule and Simpson's rule, the trapezium rule actually works better. Well, it works better in this case because there's quite substantial noise. Uh, but the Simpson's rule, we saw it was much better at handling the curvature of the function, uh, but it's much worse at handling the noise performance of the function. So. Um, so these, by the way, this course does not require you to do MATLAB, um, so you've done some. Uh, this course requires you to be able to write a answer on a page uh, in a TRIPOS exam, so you don't need to learn the MATLAB. I'm putting the MATLAB there for reference. Um, 
if you want, I've, I will also put up these scripts on the Moodle uh, in case you want to run them uh, and save yourself some time in your homework by running uh, the ones which I may have put up for one of the examples questions and forgotten to take out. Um, but you don't have to learn this, but it's an important part of demonstrating to you why you need to know maths for computers is showing you the programs uh, that, that, that they're used in. Okay. So we've talked about this uh, Simpsons rule example. Um, you might think that I'm cheating you with this demonstration. So I'll, because the <coughs> demonstration I just showed you used random numbers, so I only showed you one case of my experiment where I'd used random numbers and my trapezium rule did better than my Simpsons rule. Uh, in order to prove that I'm not cheating you, I will find the script and show that if you uh, run it repeatedly, the trapezium rule always does better in that case. And I haven't just cherry-picked uh, one case where my trapezium rule did a bit better. Um, this is a feature of doing computational work. You do have to, you do have to validate your work and prove that you're not cheating people. Um, whereas algebra, you can normally, almost always intimidate people into thinking that you've done the right thing. Okay. And on the rest of page uh, seven, Simpson's rule properties. This is a brief algebraic justification for why Simpson's rule gives you exact results for some higher order polynomials. Uh, so imagine you have this polynomial of order 4 in equation 1.4c. Uh, imagine that I'm looking to integrate it over the range of x is minus h to h. Uh, I could do this integral exactly. and The algebraic exact answer would be 1.4d. The Simpson's rule result, plugging the function values into the Simpson's rule equation, uh, which is... Uh, um, further up the page. So the Simpson's rule result uh, is this 1.4e. Sorry, I've done some updates. I've done some updates on equation numbers, by the way. So you will have to watch out. Uh, I might have some cross-references wrong in my slides compared to the handout. Uh, let me know if that's true. So your equation... This is this one's okay. So your equation 1.4. So your Simpson's rule result. Uh, the difference between the Simpson's rule result and the exact integral uh, gives you 1.4e. This equation for the error of Simpson's rule, and you see that it's proportional to this e, the uh, x to the four term in the equation, and step size to the power five for one region. So this means. Um, if my equation is, if my equation doesn't have any x to the four, then my error is zero, and Simpson's rule is exact for anything up to a cubic equation. And if my local error is proportional to step size to the power five, then using the same argument as before, uh, I have uh, a total error over a fixed interval should be proportional to h to the power four, or the number of steps n to the power minus four. Does that make sense? Good. This is not. A, this is an outline proof. This is not exactly a complete proof uh, because I've chosen a special range of x to prove it for. Um, but you can just take it as true that this proof generalizes to. Um, it's true for polynomials of order three over 
different ranges of x than the special one minus h to h. Uh, it's just a lot of annoying rearrangement to show that if you have a polynomial of order 4 over some different range, then I can move that range to the side and it's still a polynomial of order 4 over the range minus h to h in, in some new basis. Anyway, but this is the outline proof. You can just pretend. Uh, once I've proved that my method is exact for an elementary strip um, when it's expressed over this range minus h to h, that's a good outline proof as to why you have exactness and what the error performance is, that it should be proportional to n to the power minus 4. And then uh, on the next slide, out of order, I looked at this question computationally, so I said let's consider the example problem of e to the x, integrating that. Consider that for several different values of n, write a computer program to get the Simpsons rule and the trapezium rule result, and show on a log-log plot that the slope of the Simpsons rule scatter points are minus 4. So in other words, error of the Simpsons rule proportional to n to the power minus 4. Is everyone happy with that? Yes. Okay, well, good, good, fine. Very nice, very nice. Um, you're welcome to ask questions. You're also asking, in particular, so I have been editing equation numbers, so if I have an incorrect reference to equation numbers, uh, you should um, let me know. Uh, there's, uh, there's one on page 5, by the way, uh, which I think I put up in the slides. So one, on page 5, where is it? Yeah, yeah on page 5 I had this 1.1m should be 1.1q. So we've looked at um, computational methods for integration. Very similar, but fundamentally, so they look, and then what we'll look at next is something which is very closely analogous in the way, the, how the equations will look, but it's fundamentally different. Now we're not uh, integrating uh, by interpolating within some data that we've measured or which we've evaluated some functions to get some data. Uh, we now want to do uh, numerical methods for solving ordinary differential equations. So what we're doing now is we're not interpolating, we're extrapolating future values of a function. So this is relevant to doing any kinds of physics simulations. So like changes, changes in the speed of something over time under the action of some force. The force might be, or the acceleration from the force might be given to you by a differential equation of this type in this kind of differential equation. Uh, it's first order because we have the first derivative with respect to x, and it's an ordinary differential equation, ordinary meaning uh, there's a single independent variable x. So that's the things that we're looking at. And in order to uh, look at these problems, we're going to need some 
Taylor series analysis, which is going to look very similar to what we did in numerical integration. Um, the result which is going to come up is that the error, the error performance, how badly does my differential equation solver go wrong, is going to be slightly worse than the performance of my numerical integration. That's because my numerical integration uh, was fundamentally, it was interpolating, uh, so I knew the correct start point and end point uh, for two points on a curve. For differential equations where really we know some start condition like the speed of a car at the start of an experiment and how much uh, force it's producing, uh, but we, we don't know the end point, we're predicting the end points. Um, so section two gives us exact equations. So we're going to pretend that the Taylor series is valid. Well, okay, for lots of things in physics, a Taylor series is a good description of what it actually does. So I know my initial y value, um, y zero, and I want to guess uh, my next y value uh, corresponding to some later x value. Uh, so I want to know my y value, y1, and I can write down a Taylor series to describe what that is. So you can look up the Taylor series in the data book. Uh, data book page 9 for the Taylor series. And this is okay if I just want to know the uh, terms up to first order, but I want to know further terms. So remember, I have my equation tells me what the dy by dx is, or dy by dx is y prime. I have a function function of the current x value and y value which tells me that. Um, so that's okay. I want to know my next y value. So I want to know the change in y when I have a change in x. It increases by h. And I have a Taylor series which I believe is exactly true if I included all of the terms uh, up to infinite order. That's 2.0a. Uh, but in this Taylor series I have some expressions I don't yet have anything for, the y double prime, the curvature of the function, and in order to get something to do with this term, I have to use equation uh, 2.0c, the derivative of f, but because the y value varies with x, this 2.0c is an unpleasant term, I have to use uh, something that looks a bit like a product rule. I have to get my y double prime, my second derivative of y with respect to x, I have to get it as this expression in this 2.0 double c. Uh, once I have this expression for the, this is the true curvature of y, assuming the Taylor series applies, uh, then I can plug this in to 2.0a, which describes the true next value of y, and I get this expression 2.0e, uh, and I've only included here the terms up to second order. So this includes y as the initial value, plus some plus a Taylor series term because of the slope, plus a Taylor series term because of the curvature, and you can imagine there are Taylor series terms because of higher order derivatives of the of the function given by this f of x. So this is exactly true. Okay. And the thing that we're going to do in the uh, next section is I want to, uh, given a true an exact expression for what the future value of some function y of x should be, I want to compare what future values we would predict using numerical methods 
and numerical methods. Uh, we'll look next time at the um, at the simpler ones, but they're going to look a lot like the numerical integration. They're going to look a lot like using straight line approximations, um, but we're going to be using straight line approximations to extrapolate a future value of y instead of to integrate an area under a curve. Um, and 2.0e, this one is important for you, so definitely label. This is what we're going to be comparing our uh, predictions with. 